Thanks for listening to The Red Treehouse, where I tell scary stories to keep you up at night. You can listen to The Red Treehouse on your favorite streaming platforms, including Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Be sure to follow, like, and subscribe. Oh, and leave a five-star review. You can follow The Red Treehouse on social media, on TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, X, and Facebook at Red Treehouse Pod. And now you can find The Red Treehouse on Patreon. Join the Red Treehouse community for as little as $3 per month and receive exclusive member benefits, including personal shoutouts, early access to episodes, bonus episodes, and more. Simply go to patreon.com forward slash Red Treehouse. And as always, if you have a scary story or topic you'd like me to feature on an upcoming episode, email redtreehousepod at gmail.com. Sources for this episode can be found in the show notes. Content warning. This episode contains graphic discussions about mental health, domestic violence, substance use, murder, and suicide. Listener discretion is advised. Eight twenty six North Rampart Street sits in the heart of the French Quarter in New Orleans. A small two story cottage, the building doesn't stand out among others on the street. The main level was home to the Voodoo Spiritual Temple, which exists to quote, educate the community about Voodoo and to dispel the myths and misconceptions associated with voodoo since time immemorial." End quote. On the second floor, in the upper right corner, is an apartment, which was home to Zach Bowen and Addie Hall. For a brief time, the couple shared the quaint space before tragedy struck. Since 2006, the home has gone by another name, the Rampart Street Murder House, and for good reason. It's important to say up front, the connection between the Voodoo Spiritual Temple and the Rampart Street Murder House is purely coincidental. In fact, it is grossly irresponsible to make spurious connections, particularly when the only thing the two have in common is a shared address. That said, the story of Zack and Addie is equally tragic and horrific, and evokes a range of emotions and reactions. The case is both complicated and confusing. And even now, nearly 18 years later, there are still more questions than answers. In this episode of The Red Tree House, we're going to explore the terrifying story of Zack Bowen and Addie Hall. And the paranormal activity related to the Rampart Street murder house. What compelled Zach to commit one of the most horrific crimes in New Orleans history? And is 826 North Rampart Street haunted? I'll share the story. You decide for yourself. I'm your host, Will. Welcome to the Red Treehouse.
On the evening of October 17, 2006, New Orleans police received a call from the Omni Royal Orleans Hotel. They discovered a body on the roof of the parking garage. Police quickly arrived on the scene, and there they found the mangled body of a man who'd either jumped or been pushed. Trying to make sense of the scene, and unsure about what they were dealing with, officers searched the body for identification. Instead, they found a handwritten note in what appeared to be a house key. Zach Bowen was by all accounts a gentle giant. Standing at six feet, 10 inches tall, he was charming, friendly, and laid back. But he wasn't always this way. In fact, throughout high school, Zach was shy and socially awkward. In 1996, partway through his senior year, Zach dropped out of high school and traveled with his dad across the country. They eventually ended up in New Orleans, and within a short time, Zach began dating a woman, Lana Shupak, who was 10 years his senior. Soon after, Lana became pregnant. Only 18 at the time, Zach quickly became a doting and responsible father. Eventually, he asked Lana to marry him, and in 1999, she became pregnant with the couple's second child. Though he was working two jobs, Zach struggled to make ends meet, and in May 2000, Zach enlisted in the military, as the benefits would allow him to provide for his family. It's important to note the timing of Zach's enlistment. May 2000 was a time of peace, but 16 months later, 9-11 happened. By late 2002, Zach was deployed to Kuwait, and in early 2003, Zach was among the first units to invade Iraq. While there, Zach was thrust into a combat zone and quickly lost one of his best friends in a mortar attack. As if the devastation of losing a close friend weren't enough, Zach fell further into a tailspin when an insurgent attack killed a young child he'd befriended while in Baghdad. Grieving the loss of his friend and the young child, Zach longed to be home. And he purposely began failing his fitness tests so he could be sent back home. This worked. But instead of an honorable discharge, Zach received a general discharge under honorable conditions. While not the same as a dishonorable discharge, a general discharge under honorable conditions means, quote, there was something that prevented the service member from performing their job adequately or from meeting expected standards of conduct, end quote. It is possible that Zach's benefits were affected by his discharge status. Zach's transition to civilian life was difficult as he was likely suffering from undiagnosed and untreated depression and post-traumatic stress disorder, or PTSD, which according to the American Psychiatric Association, is defined as, quote, a psychiatric disorder that may occur in people who have experienced or witnessed a traumatic event 
series of events, or set of circumstances. An individual may experience this as emotionally or physically harmful or life-threatening and may affect mental, physical, social, and or spiritual well-being. Examples include natural disasters, serious accidents, terrorist acts, war or combat, rape or sexual assault, historical trauma, intimate partner violence, and bullying." End quote. Within a short time of Zach returning home, Lana decided to leave Zach and take their two young children. No doubt, this contributed to Zach's mental and emotional struggles, as he'd seemingly hit rock bottom. Now 26, he had nothing to show for his years of military service. Remember, he'd gone into the military to provide for his family. But with his general discharge affecting his benefits, and Lana leaving him, Zach was at a low point in his life. Despite this, Zach persevered, and in 2005 he took a job as a bartender in the French Quarter. There, another woman caught his attention, Addie Hall, who at 29 was a few years older than Zach. Addie Hall, by all accounts, was a free-spirited woman who lived a sort of bohemian lifestyle. She did what she wanted, and she wanted. Zach was instantly drawn to her, though Addie didn't show initial interest. Still, Zach persisted. After his shift was over, he'd hang around the bar for hours during Addie's shift, talking, keeping her company, and flirting. Eventually, in August 2005, the two began dating. Then, Hurricane Katrina swept into New Orleans. Recognizing the destructive power of the storm, the mayor of New Orleans issued an evacuation order. And of the 1.3 million New Orleans residents, it is estimated that upwards of 90% evacuated before the storm made landfall. Except, Zach and Addie were among the several hundred thousand that remained in the city. Rather than leave New Orleans for an area outside of the storm's reach, they decided to ride out the storm in Addie's apartment in the French Quarter. One article stated, quote, Zach had every intention of leaving the city and staying with his estranged wife Lana and their kids so he could get out of the storm. The mass exodus was so severe and forewarned that Lana even welcomed Zach's girlfriend, Addie. But Addie's desire for independence and a life all her own with her new boyfriend far exceeded any need she had to leave the city." End quote. The storm wreaked havoc on New Orleans, causing widespread flooding, downing power lines, cutting off water, blocking exit points, and ultimately causing the death of nearly 2,000 people. In fact, many of the people who did not or could not evacuate before the storm hit ultimately evacuated after the storm passed. Except Zach and Addie. 
first, they rode out the storm. Then, they stayed put after so many others had left. It seems they enjoyed the sense of freedom it gave them, and it was miraculous that the French Quarter was largely unaffected by the storm. Zack and Addie, along with others who'd stayed put, grew into a tight-knit community. One article stated, quote, Zack and Addie gathered the few people that waited out the storm and collectively made dinners together over a campfire, drank booze out of dirty coolers, and stayed up late singing songs and looking up at the stars they couldn't see before because of the streetlights and brightness of the city. End quote. Zack and Addie had the city to themselves, and by all appearances, their romance was in full bloom. Then, the cleanup began. Eventually, the floodwaters receded, utilities were turned back on, and the reconstruction of New Orleans began, and the honeymoon ended abruptly. As part of the cleanup efforts, the military was called in to assist, and at the high point, over 50,000 Army and Air Guardsmen were in and around the New Orleans area. Zack, still dealing with untreated PTSD, began having flashbacks, and quickly began a downward spiral that would end in a horrific tragedy. Zack and Addie, who weeks before had been celebrities, even being interviewed by reporters and newspapers, were struggling to cope with the transition back to reality. One night, Addie went into an abandoned grocery store to scavenge for food and supplies. While there, she was attacked by a man who attempted to rape her. She fought back and escaped. But, unbeknownst to Zack, Addie had been sexually abused as a child, and the incident brought on flashbacks and horrible memories. Compounding the issue was Addie's diagnosis of bipolar disorder, which she had been treating with prescription medication. But when Hurricane Katrina hit the area, Addie was unable to get her prescription refilled, leaving her bipolar disorder untreated. To manage the stress, both Zach and Addie began to use alcohol and drugs. And for Addie, this often led to her lashing out at others, calling them names and tossing out insults. But there were also times when she became physically violent. As the two slipped further into alcohol and drug use, their relationship quickly deteriorated. After an especially aggressive argument, one in which Addie woke up with bruises, Zach decided the couple needed to split up. A few days later, they got back together, and the toxic cycle continued in a type of he loves me, he loves me not. They fought and argued, broke up and got back together, over and over. The fights grew increasingly loud, and on at least two occasions the police were called to try and keep everyone calm. Late in the summer of 2006, Zach began seeing a man he'd met at a bar, and it appears that he was just discovering that he was bisexual. 
Eventually, Addie found out and lashed out at Zack, using homophobic slurs to cut him down. The relationship continued in a downward spiral of toxicity. In late September 2006, Addie approached Zack and asked him to move in with her. She was on the cusp of being evicted from her apartment and was at risk of homelessness. Zack agreed and put up two months' rent on a small apartment on 826 North Rampart Street, above the Voodoo Spiritual Temple. As Zack prepared to move into the shared home, he learned from the landlord that Addie had attempted to take his name off the lease. On October 4th, Addie approached the landlord and attempted to have the lease agreement list only her name. Not wanting to get in the middle of their relationship drama, the landlord encouraged them to work it out. When police discovered the body atop the parking garage of the Omni Royal Orleans Hotel, they also found a note and a house key. The note read, quote, This is not accidental. I had to take my own life to pay for the one I took. If you send a patrol to 826 North Rampart, you will find the dismembered corpse of my girlfriend, Addie. In the oven, on the stove, and in the fridge, along with full documentation on the both of us, and a full signed confession from myself, Zach Bone. End quote. After reading Zach's letter, the police rushed to 826 North Rampart Street and made entry into the small corner apartment. What they found was straight out of the worst nightmare. Immediately, they noticed the coldness of the apartment. The thermostat was set to 60 degrees. They also noticed messages scribbled all over the walls. Quote, spray-painted with haunting messages of regret and pain, such as, I'm a failure, and instructions to call Zach's ex-wife and tell her he loved her, end quote. Then, they saw the message, quote, look in the oven, end quote, with an arrow pointing to the stove. In the oven, Police officers found arms and legs in a large roasting pan, cooked and burned. There appeared to be seasoning on the limbs. On the counter next to the stove, they found cut up vegetables on a cutting board. On the stove, they found several pots. Inside one of the pots, they discovered hands and feet. And in another pot, they found a human head, burned beyond recognition. Then, they moved to the refrigerator, where in a plastic bag, they found a human torso. While searching the apartment, the police found Addie's journal, and in the back, eight pages worth of notes in Zach's handwriting. Quote, Today is Monday, October 16th, 2 a.m. I killed her at 1 a.m. 
Thursday, October 5th. I very calmly strangled her. It was very quick. Halfway through the task, I stopped and thought about what I was doing. The decision to halt the first idea and move to plan B, the crime scene you are now in, came after a while. I scared myself not by the action of calmly strangling the woman I've loved for one and a half years and then desecrating her body, but by my entire lack of remorse. I've known for forever how horrible of a person I am, ask anyone, and decided to quit my jobs and spend the 1500 cash I had being happy until I killed myself. So that's what I did. Good food, good drugs, good strippers, good friends, and any loose ends I may have had. I didn't contact any of my family, so that'll explain the shock, and had a fantastic time living out my days. It's just about time now. End quote. For nearly two weeks, Zach deflected questions about Addie's whereabouts, telling friends that she'd left and gone to North Carolina. Many accepted this, as they knew Addie to be somewhat unpredictable and impulsive. In the 12 days between Addie's murder and his suicide, Zach went to work, spent his money, and seemingly lived life as normal. He also desecrated Addie's corpse, moved her to the bathtub, dismembered her using a knife and hacksaw, and calmly cleaned up the bathroom. One article stated, quote, It took him four days to decide what to do with Hall's remains. During that time, he went on about his life as normal. Friends who met with him during the two weeks between the murder and his suicide said he seemed to be in good spirits, and even spoke of going on a vacation. End quote. Initially, it was thought Zach cooked Addie's remains to eat them. However, the coroner ruled that there was no evidence of cannibalism, as an autopsy of his remains, quote, confirmed there were no human remains in his system, end quote. It seems he did this to make her remains easier to dispose of. The autopsy further revealed that Zach's body was covered in cigarette burns, 28 to be exact, one for every year of his life. I mentioned earlier that the apartment on 826 North Rampart Street sits above the Voodoo Spiritual Temple. And while it is tempting to make an erroneous connection between the temple and the tragedy of Zack and Addie, we would do well to avoid this. What sometimes makes for a good story can also lead us towards untruth. Still, that has not stopped people from making irresponsible claims. The home of Zack and Addie has since been turned into a museum of the paranormal, which offers tours of the small apartment and includes the stove and refrigerator where Addie's remains were found. In the years since the tragedy, 
multiple paranormal investigations have occurred at the home. With, quote, investigators sensing a cold draft despite the windows being closed and a presence in the bathroom, end quote. Others have reported feeling as though they were being watched, as if the walls were pressing in on them and feeling an ominous presence. One article stated, quote, Reports include residents hearing disembodied voices. There is a force so ominous attached to this property that it can be felt by those that walk down the street in front of the house. Many have reportedly spotted shadowy figures moving both inside and outside of the property. Some investigations have picked up pretty interesting EVPs as well. One such instance, a voice was recorded saying, please don't hurt her, end quote. To this day, the home at 826 North Rampart Street is considered haunted, and that somehow, Zach was influenced by the spirits that reside in the home. I'm convinced Zach and Addie's demons were less supernatural and more natural. It's important to understand that no matter Addie's behaviors, she was worthy of dignity and life. And she was murdered through no fault of her own. As important, despite Zach's evil actions, he too was worthy of dignity and life though his actions caused the loss of both his and Addie's. In our quest for catharsis, in our quest for catharsis, we sometimes make superfluous connections rather than sitting with the complexity of grief and confusion. The uncomfortable truth is Zach likely suffered from depression and PTSD, which was compounded by his alcohol and drug use mix in an unhealthy, even toxic relationship, and you have the potential for incredible volatility and violence. Likewise, the uncomfortable truth is Addie likely suffered with childhood trauma, which was compounded by her untreated bipolar disorder and alcohol and drug use. Mix in an unhealthy, even toxic relationship and you have the potential for incredible volatility and danger. The uncomfortable and scary truth is that Zach Bowen's personal demons got the best of him, leading to a tragic and horrific murder-suicide. As we close this episode of The Red Treehouse, we're still left with this lingering question. What ultimately compelled Zach Bowen to commit one of the most horrific crimes in New Orleans history. I've shared the story. Now you decide for yourself. I'm your host, Will. Thanks for joining me in the Red Treehouse. <laughs>